Uh, okay, cool. So, so uh, we're going to be putting out the show a day late this week um, because we had major technical difficulties yesterday and because uh, we're kind of in a, both, both in a bit of a time crunch, me more than Carl, but uh, we, uh, we just were not able to finish recording yesterday and had a bit of a technical issue. So day, show's coming out a day late, which, uh, you know, isn't, isn't the end of the world. So you'll get this uh, Tuesday morning. And uh, we hope that nothing too crazy has happened on Monday and Tuesday uh, to throw all these stories off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I cr- cross my fingers and hope to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so, Carl, how did you uh, how did you enjoy your uh, German Thanksgiving? You know, it was uh, pretty good. I had a test Friday afternoon, so we did Thanksgiving Friday evening. After that, I got a great great on that test so that's cool hey. so and we just we made a homemade honey glazed ham because turkey is the grossest fucking meat in the world <laughs> i stand by that i'll fight you about that um but you know we had a we had a good time it was good stuff uh very laid back how about you adam uh it was good it was good went and saw a bunch of family and uh man we had we had a smoked turkey and uh you're wrong it was delicious 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 i i ate so much turkey i almost popped it was great it was great you say we can't have our cake and eat it too i'm a socialist and i eat a lot (laughs) turns out Socialism is not defined by uh, the late 30s in Russia. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Uh, If you haven't been subsisting on a solely turnip diet for the last three winters, and we are measuring distance of time in winters, uh, you're not any form of socialismo. (laughs) I mean, it's the only healthy diet. Well, I mean, yeah, totally organic. And you just eat turnips. And, and we then all, you I mean, get so mad, you become Nazis. <laughs> let's, let's also remember that, uh, you know, capitalism is so efficient at food allocation that every single person had a full turkey to themselves for Thanksgiving. No one had to go to a food bank. That, that was not a thing. Yeah, It's not like a cultural thing in the U.S. where if you have time and money, you go donate your work or food at... Uh, a food bank. That's yeah. it's not a cultural norm or anything. It wasn't like uh, what's that? Oh, uh, it wasn't like No Boundaries International and OKC's. Their food bank ran out on uh, Tuesday. Oh damn! That's yeah. Bad. No, I mean it. It I I No Boundaries International is a really cool organization that helps with uh, prostitution. Uh, well, provides help to pro- to prostitutes looking to get out um in oklahoma city and yeah they ran out on tuesday but they did a uh big last minute food drive and i'm pretty sure at a certain point they were just like going to walmart's and being like look give us cans and they did (laughs) but yeah they they always have a pretty good good one i mean that's important you know that stuff's important because it turns out capitalism is actually yeah yeah it's like my big harping point on any time i hear anyone being like oh well you know capitalism facilitates like donations by like rich individuals to like help people out i'm like dude do you know that there are less than 200 beds in the u.s for runaway teens and uh and uh, prostitutes it's like oh like 
Good. That's just something that people could buy beds for. <laughs> did you know that there are uh, like one in six homes for every homeless person in the? Uh, there are six homes per every homeless person in the U.S. and one in five Carl, Oklahoma Carl, children Carl, go to bed hungry. Carl, have you not heard of mortgages and grocery stores? Okay, because <laughs> those have the things that those people want, and if you don't restrict those things artificially then everyone will have them and no one will work for anything carl carl did you know that there are like fucking four grocery stores in between 36th and 46th on peoria and tulsa but not a single one north of 15th street Hmm. listen municipal regulation that decides who gets gas and electric hookups for large-scale um, grocery stores is not have anything to do with race, okay? Those are just completely neutral. They're actually, they use, um, uh, in Tulsa, they use a large um, spinny wheel. And it just so happens that, yeah, North Tulsa's corner on the wheel is very, very small, and the rest of it is mostly 34th and Peoria. <laughs> It's so weird. It's almost like there's a massive, <laughs> a massive concentration of wealth around 41st and Peoria. <laughs> I'm sure that doesn't affect it, though. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, and then the actual screaming of home property tax is reflective of the needs of the citizens who live in those areas, and that's where they have access to higher quality goods, Carl. <laughs> It's like, oh, well, I'm sorry that the rich people chose to put the pores in neighborhoods they built for them. Yeah. It seems like it was almost planned, huh? It's almost like there's a term for it. Segra, segra, I don't remember. I was thinking more, I, I don't know what the color, it might be black lining? Oh, oh yeah, that too. Oh, oh. Oh, no, 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 we weren't that obvious. It, it's red lining. That, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there a famous saying in the U.S., cross the tracks? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> a famous saying, surprisingly reflective of uh, Oklahoma City. Weird. Almost like sometimes uh, economic realities are uh, spit back to us in the form of culture. So strange. Oh, oh my God. Re Read Frederick Jameson. Yeah, yeah, assholes. Many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Many a page of life has turned, many a lesson I have learned Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong Way down yonder in the Indian nation Ride my pony on the reservation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Now way down yonder in the Indian nation The cowboy's life is my occupation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born I'm Adam Burnett And I'm Carl Roberts And this is Red Star Over Oklahoma we're a small political news podcast broadcasting about left politics and left politics in Oklahoma. Uh, we've already been over how Carl's doing this week. Uh, I hope everyone liked my little dramatic pause before I told you all the name of the show. I know you guys are waiting in, you know, tense apprehension. But uh, 
Uh, got a little bit of, not necessarily bad news, but a little bit of housekeeping we wanted to take care of right up at the top. First of all, sorry for being a day late. Uh, and then, um, the next, uh, you know, maybe week or two weeks, I am probably not going, I'm not going to be able to be on the show. Um, I am coming around to, uh, the halfway point of my law school career. I'm coming into my two weeks of finals. Um, if you pray, you got good vibes, whatever, send them my way. Uh, this is a stressful time of year for me. Um, and I'm going to have to be spend the next two weeks uh, deep in the books. So I won't be able to participate. But I think uh, Master Roberts over there has got some uh, interesting things lined up. And uh, I won't spoil any of the, uh, the click clack. And I'm pretty sure he wants to be doing about all this later. But uh, for that, we'll get uh, right into the stories for this week. Um, when we recorded this the first time, I forgot to mention this, um, so I, I figured I'd start with this. Uh, I woke up uh, a week ago uh, on uh, last Monday, the 20th, and I had an email from Senator Langford's office, and I had an email from Representative uh, Mario's office, and uh, <laughs> I was pretty sure... We were about to become the offline pirate radio station that I've so dreamed of running since I was like 16. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank God we're not. <laughs> uh, but instead, uh, it turned out that they, they were actually responding to uh, several uh, petitions I had signed a few months ago regarding uh, net neutrality because. Um, which was a really good to turn my attention. I was just, you know, because the FCC under Ajit Pai had planned last week to force a vote on net neutrality, to repeal net neutrality um, over Thanksgiving, which, you know, a lot of people aren't paying attention to politics and the news over Thanksgiving. It's not just some random Thursday. So um, he, uh, uh, this is kind of all tuned my attention to that. But, but for a moment, I sent some panicked messages to Carl because the first messages I received from them were just, automated we'll get back to your comment later messages and i was like oh no what comment which one of all the times that carl screamed no cut this out send it to mark wayne and tell him that i'm done <laughs> i was like oh great this is it we're going down <laughs> we're funny the fbi's coming and it's over <laughs> we're gonna take my little dog and imprison me in the gulag that they keep telling me I'm trying to put them in. <laughs> I mean, the funniest thing, though, is that you got this email about petitions you signed about net neutrality online. Um, and the real thing that... And we were both afraid of that immediately, of like, oh my god, they're coming for our buttholes, we're gonna get arrested, thought police, 1984! But it turns out that they were actually emailing about essentially shutting down the show, because if net neutrality goes away... Yeah, we can't know, do this. You know that, like, all the big corporations, because we already know that Google has done this. Uh, we talked a little bit about that when we had Parker Nelson on the show to talk about Facebook. Um, but we, we know that they will find socialist shit on the internet, and they will throttle the fuck out of it, right? I'm going to make it not work for everybody. So well, it actually was about taking the show off yeah, in, I, in a weird way. Yeah, I'll, I'll even be more real than that. I don't, I don't think either of us could afford to put the show on. Um, if net neutrality is passed. I know that I, I, I wouldn't be able to help as much as I do now because, it. I mean, 
<clears throat> what new net neutrality is, is essentially right now, the government has laid down an infrastructure and uh, created a product. Uh, essentially, you know, the, the, the physical cables and most of the like power lines you see that carry uh, internet um, across the U.S. Uh, were generally constructed by the government. And the technology behind all of that, the ability for computers to talk to each other, um, the ability to sp send high-speed data, all came out of one government research, principally out of the Pentagon, and then um, and, and academic, yeah, publicly funded academic institutions, and not even necessarily fully publicly funded. I mean, I'm sure MIT and Harvard have done some, you know, big work on that, and I, I'm pretty sure they have, but they still use public funds and all the time because we're a government that is reflective of people and not isolated private institutions. You can't be a private institution. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's another line of yelling. But anyway, this was created and what you have is you have internet service providers like, you know, your Coxes and AT&Ts and Comcasts of the world who are your access point to that network and that technology. Basically, you know, that thing exists and what they do, and they're not the owners of the internet, you know, they don't own the content that's put up on the internet. Um, you know, Facebook and Reddit and, you know, those individual sites on the intellectual property that is being, you know, put on the internet and, you know, the New York Times and whatever. Um, but um, they provide... Uh, and the, we talked about this a bit, but the the two you know they I, the do two big things they provide is is come in services. They do home installation and they do on the spot repair. And like there is a need for that. Like there is definitely like pe someone has to be able to hook you up to this internet. It's just dumb to have a private middleman. It's an artificially created like private industry within this. It just allows people to get rich off of something that should really just be taxpayer funded and done by our local town, local municipalities. Yeah, and that's actually, um, it's a working model. Uh, I, I believe it's Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, that has uh, broadband or DSL, um, and it's some of the fastest in the nation. Um, it's super high quality, way better than any anything offered by any of these companies, I'm sure. Anyone that's lived in Oklahoma has at some point called Cox or AT&T or like whatever the companies that do the more rural areas, like the one that does Stillwater and just like yelled for like five hours at some very sorry and sad poor person that has to work at, at the, the. But Carl, if it's that bad under a private institution, think about how long the wait will be to get your internet installed <clears throat> in a, under a government institution that isn't at all beholden to the people or representative of them. Yeah, it's, it's almost like they're <laughs> shitty because it's profitable. It's almost like the only responsibility companies have, and in fact, the only one that they can get in trouble for not meeting is producing profit. It's so, it's so weird when you actually talk about their material interests, how you find out what the fuck's going on. <laughs> I think we're going to confuse even ourselves listening back to this one with how sarcastic we've been this entire episode. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's so, it's one of those things that like net neutrality is really important. And net neutrality, if we're talking about a government institution or a private institution is super important because the fundamental idea is that we all get the same access to the same web pages and certain web pages don't get preferential treatment, right? You mm -hmm. get 
access to the quality of server you pay for. And then anyone who's trying to connect to you has access based on the quality of their computer, right? You know, and their location in terms of connection, like if you're sitting three rooms away from your router, okay, you're going to be slower. But the idea is that that middleman, the ISP, can't make stuff faster, slower, ever, right? And that's a super straightforward idea. But the thing is, with a government institution, why would that not happen, right? I think there might even be a legal argument for government institutions, if they're running, say, municipal broadband, having to be net neutral because of the First Amendment, since there would be the government preferencing kinds of speech and so on, right? I, 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 I don't really know that much about that. But seemingly that provides... I'll just start crying well. if I start talking about the Constitution, so I'm not going to. <laughs> that's, that's how American you are. <laughs> I just don't have it left in me. <laughs> um, uh, and I think, I think, you know, one of the things that this ends up leading us, you know, towards saying, I think you make some, some really good points. Uh, you do, uh, you know, you do have a lot more ability to bargain for represent, equal representation and equality with your municipal government than you do with a private institution because they're not beholden to you. And I think that's a big point of what we're saying. And I think that leads to a very <clears throat> simple, simple uh, conclusion that follows logic. Because you know what doesn't follow logic? Saying that the middleman who provides us um, service should dictate what content we see. That doesn't make any sense. That's just not logical. It doesn't. But you know what makes really good logic? If you have an infrastructure and a technology and private individuals using that technology and that infrastructure, why do you have to have someone else involved? You know what we should do? We should nationalize the internet. Fundamentally, it's a fundamentally good idea. We paid to create the shit, you know. We, we did physically create it as well as creating the technology necessary to run it. We pay to upkeep a ton of the infrastructure related to it. And why isn't it nationalized? You know? You try to do anything in today's world without the internet. Like, like genu I'm being entirely serious here. Y'all want to talk to me while I'm abroad right now? You, it's going to take weeks. Mm -hmm. Actually, it takes about a week for a letter to get from Oklahoma. Yeah, that's not the real but problem, though. But then it's going to take real... another week to get back. It costs like, 30 about that freaking kind of... dollars to send you a letter. I've tried. Yeah, like, it's, there's so many, so many things that the internet makes nicer. You, you need to look for new uh, jobs. You need to get educated about a topic. You need to get educated about a topic in, 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 at an institutional level. So while you're, while you're at university, while you're outside of university, the internet is there, right? Mm -hmm. You, you want to you find the quickest way to get from point A to point B. You want to find the best restaurant to go to in town. You want to find the, the skeeviest dive bar to go to because you're uh, uh, General you know, trash a dirty people. alley person like both of us, right? And that's where you go. You go to the internet. It's... It, it would be so much harder to do that. And it also provides super important things, like the amount of times that I've heard from people working in LGBTQ plus activism that the internet has been a real boon to the LGBTQ plus community because it gives space for people that might be in a position where they don't have anyone in their life that is out that they can talk to about the problems they're going through. They have a community that's loving and accepting that says, hey, you're not weird. You're not different. It's totally okay, these feelings you have. You have, you're a person and you deserve respect, you know. The internet creates so many opportunities like that for people. It, 
how is this not national? Is is the question we should be asking right now, everybody. Yeah, and I think I think it you know, to me this reeks <clears throat> of something akin to healthcare in the U.S., where you can just see an industry that exists solely because. Um, there has been a creation for it to instigate profit. Uh, insurance, I mean, you know, it, 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 it has, you know, some historical basis and in institution, but like ISPs, like it, ISPs and, and insurance companies are, you know, ISPs are even shorter lived, you know, in, in reference to their, you know, institutionalness. But I mean, you know, insurance companies, what, you're looking at a tenure of 200 years? That's not very long in cultural societal history. It's a pretty new institution. And like, it's the same thing. It's just an interjection of a profit motive where there doesn't need to be one. It was that the people in charge were rich and honestly not representative. I mean, you know, we talk about it all the time about disenfranchisement of voters, but I mean, I'm just harping on the fact that women's suffrage was 1922, 1923? Uh, actually 1920, I think. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, seriously, so you're talking about an institution, but majority of its time, even if we're giving it a pretty large lifespan, has been directly, like, has been cre- is, 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 is one, artificially created, because we don't need insurance companies, we can just, you know, ref- you know reflect the needs of the medical uh, the medical needs of the community through, you know, taxes, which has always been a model since literally kings and, like, feudalism. Or we can interject this other party that just gets to reap profit. And not provide anything to the system. Actually, it adds bureaucracy, which Marx would tell us is actually a major detriment. Yeah, it's true. It's just not. It's it basically puts this group of people in a position where we don't need them, but they have to make a profit off of us, and they're beholden to no one. No, 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 no. They're beholden to their their stakeholders. This is the most important thing. Like. Like, they, they have a duty, they have contractual obligations to the people they provide services to. Yeah. But just fucking try to call Cox and talk to anyone about customer service, about how, how your internet is, has been down for two days. Or you say, they told you you would get your internet three weeks ago, you're starting a university and you don't have any internet, internet in your home, and they still haven't given you internet for three weeks. Something yeah. that literally happened to me. I have no recourse legally because I can't afford to go deal with them, et cetera, et cetera. And they're not going to fucking help me because it doesn't make sense for their bottom line. Literal, real things that have happened to me personally that are, like, standard for this industry. And it, it like, almost astounds me because I, I, I hate to put that on the shoulder of, oh, I, we got wronged by this one company and now we're both mad at them and we're taking it out on them. Because I'm sure, you know, anyone who doesn't agree with us will look for anything to discredit our opinion. But like, how, like, I don't even have to touch on my personal experience, which hasn't been good with cable and ISP providers. But like, I don't know anyone who's has. Everyone I've ever talked to has been like, oh, no, Cox is terrible. And I like really try because I feel bad for people who work in, in environments like that. It's like I have a lot of friends that are law enforcement officers. And like there's a lot of times I feel really bad for the work they do because they just get thrown up on a lot and have to deal with drunk people. And like, you know, sometimes it is just about like, dude, you're trying to start fights with everybody and you've got to either you've got to leave. 
you've got to leave and you won't leave. And like, sometimes you need bouncers to come in and throw people out. And like, that happens. And like, it's a terrible job. I would never do that. You couldn't pay me to do it. It sounds terrible. And like, that's how I feel about people who work at Cox, man. It must be awful. Yeah. But this is the thing. Uh, Mark, Mark Fisher calls that kind of bullshit. He calls it a Stalinist, uh, or rather market Stalinism in his great little book, uh, Capitalist Realism, Is There No Alternative? And that's really what it feels like, you know? Yeah. Like, I take that seriously. <laughs> and it's disgusting. And that's what we get until... That's what we're going to get until we nationalize the internet, essentially. We're going to have... Net neutrality is always going to be under threat. We're going to have less recourse to keep net neutrality a thing. And, and you're going to have to call Cox to yell at some person that is in no way able to fix your problem or responsible. But that mm-hmm. serves as like the, the focal point of your rage. So that some rich guy who never has to hear any of these complaints gets to make a shit ton of money off that person's labor of just being like, I'm so sorry that we're fucking you, but well, that's what's happening. <laughs> and like that, when we talk about class warfare, like we talked about that quite a bit last week. And when we talk about class warfare, that's literally what it is. It's, it's literally engendering you against people who were what you would consider to be low. You know, it's why you see people being like assholes to like janitors or like the people who work at Cox or like I'm sure everyone here has seen someone freak out on a retail employee or read about it on the internet and like or like a retail employee flipping out on a customer like that's what class warfare is it pits people who are not responsible for the situations that they are encountering against each other and then it it gives them like artificial you know artificialness of power that exists there where you know you've got an employee who's allowed to tell you something or you've got a customer who believes that their dollar entitles them to say something and like in actuality those things aren't representative of the the, you know those are two individual human beings who just don't need to be screaming at each other over like a blouse yeah or your cable subscription and it, it 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 just masks the real conflict because your point of contact with the hellscape that is capitalism is this individual human, this worker. Mm-hmm. And yet the problem you have is a social relationship that exists between the worker and their boss, and then between you and the boss who's trying to make the profit. Mm-hmm. But the only thing you seem to have access to is, is, is that worker. And, yeah. and I mean, it's just, it's just another one of those things where like, if we nationalize the internet, sure, we might have problems and so on, but Democracy is a set of institutions designed to solve these problems, fundamentally. Capitalism is not an institution designed for that. Capitalism is an institution designed for you to yell at that worker so that the boss makes money. So fuck it, nationalize the internet, a a Jeep pie, jump off the cliff, okay? Go take a swim in your fucking big-ass Reese's coffee mug, you nerd. He is a nerd, and that's all I have to say about that. Um... (laughs) Uh, so our next story comes to us from the New York Times. Um, this is a really cool story that uh, I came across earlier in this week and I thought uh, would be a cool topic for us to talk about. Um, and it uh, comes out of Vallejo, California, which is one of the most ethnically diverse uh, zip codes in the U.S. Uh, I'm going to be pulling some quotes from this story as we, uh, as we discuss it. We'll put it up on the uh, subreddit. Um, and... Um, 
the biggest thing is that while this community has um, almost equal distribution of black, whites, Hispanics, and, and Asian people throughout that uh, throughout the city, those ethnic minority those those different ethnic cultures are still divided in neighborhoods even within this even though they all work live and engage as a community in this like multi-ethnic environment yeah and it's 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 a thing that's important to talk about because diversity gets thrown around as this word is this like good in itself and sometimes and i know we're too straight white guys talk about diversity and we're entirely on the side of what diversity is supposed to mean um I think so often the language of diversity gets used to be the, like in this context. It says, does race matter in America's most diverse zip codes? And the underlying context is that, oh, it's diverse. So there's racial harmony or something. Or so, you know, racial walls are getting broken down because there seems to be this liberal idea that just having races close to each other or people of different races close to each other um, for some reason reduces racial tension, which is one of those things where it's like, well, where were most black people? the Civil War and how were race relations there, it should be pretty good proof that it's just an insane piece. Um, but it's interesting when they get granular about this data. It's really, really important reporting, I think, and important for us to talk about, too. Yeah, and, and so I think it speaks to something that you and I get caught up in a lot and I get frustrated with because I am not what you would classify like, like, as a liberal. Like, I'm really not. Like, I, I, because so many of the classical liberal and democratic party positions are so, like, illogical on their face because, like, they are still capitalists in, like, the greater sense. And that, like, they also like the status quo and um, are cool with how everything is. And so diversity works really well for them. It's why you see so many, like, elite liberals and, like, Democrats push for affirmative action. It's like, Affirmative action is is still, to use some of the government's own wording, it's still using a suspect classification to judge a group of people. It's like, it's still saying like, oh, we want this many black people and this many white people and this many Asian people. It's like, you're still using a suspect classification. And like, that is my problem. I, I don't even think necessarily that, you know, I think we both as, as people that aren't, liberal in a very meaningful sense yeah um would say yeah i mean I, I the goal of affirmative action is clearly like valuable right but so often for example a school like harvard or yale will use this seemingly neutral word diversity to claim that oh look we have this campus that's got a ton of people blah 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 different backgrounds and what it really means is just a bunch of rich people with different skin color. And so it, yeah. it, it doesn't seem like it's enough. Well, I mean, you know, it, in the exact same way that it's not enough to just say we want socialism, we also have to say we got to be proactive about, you know, issues of racial oppression in the U.S., issues of colonialism in the U.S. and so on. You also can't just you can't just talk about diversity by itself mm -hmm. as this value neutral term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean to, to take your Harvard example, too, I mean, the greatest one, you know, how, how hard does and there you will not find a more avid supporter of the University of Oklahoma, probably in this state. But how how front and center does the University of Oklahoma's approach to using and and to bringing in foreign students take in their their advertising? And what is the, the, the street behind Campus Corner? 
named after. Leader of the KKK. Yeah. Like that, that and if you, plain as day. That like you can say, oh, look how diverse we are. Look how 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 we have this, you know, like one, yeah, like you said, like value neutral term that like, but like also like we can meet this one metric and and show you. But then like you look at other, like you're not looking at the whole picture because like like you said, like you can have this one metric, but then you can look at something else, like okay, well, what's the average GPA of all these people? It's like oh, it's a two point two. Well, that's not good. And it's like oh, what is the average you know wealth of each parent? It's like oh, there's not a person in this class that you know has a parent that's worth under five hundred thousand dollars or something. And this is all made up, but like. Like, you can see how that in that hypothetical, like, the race being diverse is not representative of good things. Like, you've just cherry-picked it so you can sit there on your, on, your high, on, on your ivory tower and say, oh, look at me. I fixed it. And you haven't fixed anything or even addressed the underlying problems or the, the, the like, not just the underlying problems, but, like, the, like... <laughs> The disease itself, like the symptoms that are like, you know, the nasty boils on society's face. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, the streets it's, named after racist, violent, you know, violent men. <laughs> Can't even get that fixed. And so it's like, and, and this is one of the most important things when we do say diverse and just leave it as this value neutral term is that again, too, when you read this New York Times article, what you find out is that the city, city is still surprisingly segregated based on race. There is a lot more, say, mixed-race couples, mixed-race households, and so on. But race still is something that is, like, not, you know, this solved problem. Because diversity by itself doesn't solve that problem. Um, Ricky Rawls, the guy who does the Champagne Sharks podcast, has a really great podcast. And I'll, I'll figure out the number of it and send it to uh, and post it on the subreddit where, he, where he's he talks about this like liberal idea of diversity. And what he says is like the fundamental claim of just value neutral of this uh, economically neutral rather diversity thing is that just being around white people is good for people of color. And he's like, that's the most fucking crazy racist shit I've ever heard in my life. And he's right. You know, like we should fight for diversity. We should fight for more people and stuff. But it's not enough to just have people from communities that do to centuries of racism are unquestionably poorer than white communities near rich white people. You know, that was my high school experience. And at, at Booker T, after the third year, you go from a school that is half black, half white, and suddenly you enter into courses where in a student body that has, you know, 520 white people and 520 black people, you have, in a class of like, 30, 40 people, you will have one or two people of color in the whole class, right? That's why diversity isn't good. Because it also has to come with the other thing, you know? Yeah. It doesn't, it, and, and um, it's just, it's this kind of, it's indicative, truly indicative to me, of the liberal worldview where the economic is not political and the two spheres are totally separated from one another. Mm -hmm. And so we say, Oh, look, politically great for everybody, guys. Very diverse city. But it doesn't do anything to say that. And if you look at some of the most diverse cities in the U.S., New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, St. Louis, they're still massively segregated. Because diversity by itself is never going to be good. Yeah. You yeah. got to give up that white people wealth and spread it around. 
Yeah, and that's I, I, I think the most important thing you said there is that what this really tries to do is it tries to compound these neoliberal ideas of the free marketplace of ideas, racial um, and gender equality, and um, market capitalism. And it just, they can't be squared with each other. And so you end up with this thing that is just ignoring the fact that economic justice is just as important as political justice. And it also, what you said there, I think, is, is the perfect point, right? Like, so racial diversity, gender diversity, equality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But also market capitalism. And market capitalism says you can't touch people's property, right? That's their property. You can't do away with it. The new Republican tax plan has this big thing about lowering the estate tax, for example, and so on. And the history of racism, of gender oppression in the U.S. means that wealth is concentrated in the hands of whites and especially white men. And as long as you have that market capitalism part, you're not going to be able to realize those other values because you got to take the money from people like Donald Trump and spread it around to the communities, for example, that he's actively hurt, the black community of New York City. If you want your diversity to mean anything other than like we live in space together, okay, we... if you want it to mean that that there's real, real fundamental equality instead of some, you know, legal formal equality that has no backing in social reality. Yeah, 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 and I think that's one of the other things too is that um, I get frustrated with this a lot too because it's like I study so much. Um, so many cases that come up that that are you know poor defendants doing violent crimes and getting slammed, and then I read these cases where it's like, oh yeah, they returned a uh, four and a half million dollar verdict for this class action lawsuit, and the company declared bankruptcy, and nobody saw a dime. Nobody went to jail. Yep. It's like, oh, what happened? Oh, eighty people died because the metal splints they were putting in people's legs were made of lead. It's like, oh, so they caused 80 deaths? It's like, no, no, you can't sue doctors or medical companies in that sense. Like, you can sue the doctors for malpractice if they did something wrong, but if the FDA, which is allowed to be lobbied by private individuals, um, allows it, then it's fine and you can't sue them. It's like, oh, so so what happens? It's like, nothing. Yeah, and, and who's on the board of these companies? People put in place by Donald Trump. Well, yeah, it, it, overwhelmingly rich white men. And, and this is the point. If, if we actually give a shit about diversity, guys, gotta be a socialist. You can't be a socialist without giving a shit about diversity, too. I, I want to say that very importantly as well, but you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Well, speaking of having one without the other, uh, we've had one special second. What about or one special session? What about second special session? What about tea special session? What about lunch special session? Supper special session? Dinner special session? That was a Lord We're of the Rings act- joke. <laughs> Murray Fallon is just like throwing the apple bat back at 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 Pippin. Uh, Eccles and yeah. Call, and the two of them are just like, what about second breakfast? And they're just we can't do legislation. We're, they're just we fight. Fighting over the apple to try and sell it to the Democrats. Like, oh yeah, you know we we'll, we we'll, we'll vote on the GPT as a second step thing. That's how, that's that's our deal. Oh, God. Uh, 
But shall, shall we explain uh, yes. what happened exactly? I I'll let you take it away. Yeah, so they to, to end the special session, uh, something we did mention but didn't go into the details of, um, is, and Mary Fallon still hasn't called for the next special session, even though she almost assuredly will. Uh, she, they, they passed House Bill 1019, uh, which the House and the Senate both passed and was a cash and cut bullshit thing, right? So we were still going to be in the hole by $215 million and all the money that they were getting to help make the hole lower was coming from cutting programs and about $60 million from, oh no, uh, $60 million in spending cuts. And then a little over $100 million in cash and just under $50 million in revenue. Uh, so that $50 million in revenue, that just under $50 million, was coming from an adjustment to the gross production tax, not the increase the Democrats wanted at any point. And that $100 million in cash or, or cash reserves, for example, coming out of the rainy fund, right? So the only thing attempting to address the structural problems is an adjustment of the gross production tax and the whole thing, which is bringing in the least amount of money. We right? won. Oh, did Ooh. we not win? No, no we, we 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 terribly lost. <laughs> uh, well, we didn't terribly so, lose. The the disabled children and veterans of the state of Oklahoma lost. Really, all Oklahomans lost too, I think, except for the super rich and the oil company. Um, but Fallon, importantly. Only vetoed 165 of 170 sections of the bill. Um, once again, Mary Fallon surprising the shit out of me by doing something that I support. Uh, the five sections she left in are emergency short-term funding for uh, mental health, the departments of mental health and substance abuse and human services, and the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, and funding for the health department. And that's to go through the end of the fiscal year. That's the money that they lost when the uh, Oklahoma Supreme Court overturned. The so one fifty cigarette fee, yeah. So what she's doing is saying, yes, we're going to fund these programs that, when we cut them, you know, people will literally die because we cut them. Yeah. Um, and that's all she. That's and she said very explicitly, I'm keeping these in because I'm not going to have murdering people on my conscience when I leave the governor's mansion in 2018 when I get term limited. Yeah, yeah, um, and and like. Like, I don't have a lot of great things to say about Mary Fallon, but you know what? I, I would say that as executives get closer and closer to the end of their um, tenure, they almost always do make really good representative of their constituency decisions. And I say it that way because, like, sometimes I see them make decisions that, like, I may not, like, agree with in, like, a total political stance, but, like, I can think of some of the things Kasich has done as he's gotten further in his governorship and like been like, okay, you're a terrible Republican that I don't really like that much, but like you're actually making great decisions for your state where you are. And like that is important. And like I'll give Mary Fallon like some ups in that like thank you for funding that. Like the, we had to have that money. Um, those are the most at risk people in our population and our legislature obviously doesn't give a shit about them. So, by the way, go vote them all out of office. But also, like, thank God we have an executive that is able to step in in that way and make that happen. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's super important. And, I mean, I, I also want to say that the utter horror of our cor current budget crisis 
is the only reason that we could be in a position to say Mary Fallon did a good thing, right? Mm. Um, without the utter inability of the government that we have right now to do its fundamental job, we would not have to heap praise on Mary Fallon. But because the situation is so goddamn dire, we are in a position to do that. And I mean, it's, I wanna, it, this is important for me to say because it's so insane to me. I, I literally said a few episodes ago, she will never be called Mary Fallon on the show. She will always be Mary Phelan to me. She still is Mary Phelan to me. That photo of that guy wearing the shirt that says Mary Phelan for governor that he took next to her that she looks at and realizes while the photo is getting taken, I would 100% get a tattoo of that photo, okay? Wait. I despise Wait, her. Wait, hold on. Ken, I, I, I will fly to Germany, and I will give you a prison <laughs> tattoo. And it might not be an exact replica, but it'll be on your butt, and you'll never see it. <laughs> no, I want it on my chest. Oh my gosh, yes. Let's oh. go. Um, let's make it happen. But, I mean, really, like, that's how dire this is. That is 100% how dire this is right now, guys. Just, just to be clear about yeah. that. And all of this, once again, fundamentally, can be laid at the feet of House Republicans. They're going to cost us another $30,000 a day when Mary Fallon recalls a special session because she has to. Because fundamentally, the state can't keep doing what it's doing right now. Yeah. And what, I mean, it's costing us more money to be this terribly mismanaged and to have Speaker fucking Charles Dickface McCall just fucking up the life of old Oklahomans, of poor Oklahomans. Carl, they they could pull themselves up by their bootstrap. What are we going to do, tax the rich? If pull up by his goddamn bootstrap, we wouldn't be in this fucking position, would we? What are we going to do, tax the rich? They made that money fair and square. They have have an earned morality, Carl. They're better than you and I. They've worked harder. They worked for that money. That they got. <sighs> that's all I have. That's all. I can't even reply to those arguments anymore. Like, speaking, speaking of, you know? speaking of never worked. <laughs> like, like there have been multiple studies that say working as a waiter is roughly as stressful as being a surgeon, and like a medical surgeon, not a plastic. Doing like, 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 not like minor surgery, but like big deal surgery. You don't get paid the same amount of goddamn money. And you know that a lot of these rich people in Oklahoma just got born into oil rights. No, no, no. They didn't no, work hard, no. ever. Well, you see, here's the thing. Never mind. I'll get myself in trouble. <laughs> Speaking of heaping praise onto unsuspecting folk. Well, okay. This guy, this guy does deserve praise. I want to I wanna, I wanna start off this with saying that George Kaiser is, as a person, the fucking shit, okay? Every Tulsa knows George Kaiser is one of the coolest motherfuckers around. George Kaiser has done stunningly good things for Tulsa. You ever been to the Woody Guthrie Center? Amazing. Surprisingly socialist for a center set up by 
uh, a billionaire. You know, the stuff he does for, for poor kids to make sure that they got good education is utterly insane. Tulsa's a leader in pre-K education because George Kaiser was basically like, well, the, the public agencies that are responsible for this are led by Charles McCall, and that means they're probably going to start harvesting organs from the poor kids to pay for their school. Um, and he's making what's going to be one of the best parks in the world in Tulsa at a gathering place for Tulsa. You know, they're going to get the Bob Dylan archive in Tulsa because of him. Mm-hmm. He, he made Guthrie Green. You ever been to Guthrie Green? That shit is hype. That shit is crazy cool. I'm so into the Guthrie Green. I actually he set up the Guthrie Green. <laughs> He set up a program for artists to live on a stipend donated by his philanthropy so that they just come live in Tulsa and do art. Like, that's their job for a year. Move to Tulsa, they pay for your housing, or rather, they give you an apartment that you don't have to pay anything for, and then they just put a bunch of money in your pocket. You just, you just have to make art, right? I can do that. But, but the thing that matters, <laughs> the thing that's important and why we bring this up comes up in the article we're going to post that we're drawing a lot of this from. We're also drawing this from personal experiences as Green Country mm-hmm. Native. Um, but Christian Science Monitor had an article about him, right? And, and that's what inspired us to do this. And the question is, you know, what does it mean that we would have none of these things without George Kaiser? Right? Like, Tulsa is a growing city. It's a city that's getting really cool. It's a lot cooler than people expect it to be. Um, I saw somewhere, I was doing, I don't know, I was just like Googling Oklahoma or something for some reason. And people were like, yeah, uh, Oklahoma is one of the, the Oklahoma cities, Tulsa and Oklahoma City are massively underrated uh, for how high quality they are in terms of arts and culture. Um, and a large part of that is George Kaiser. But we wouldn't have that. And if you just compare Oklahoma City and Tulsa, you see, that all this cool stuff we're getting, or you can compare us to Kansas City, you know, you compare us to, to Wichita or Lincoln, Nebraska or Omaha, right? Um, we haven't been able, we wouldn't be able to do that without a billionaire that gives a shit about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, and I think that this is precisely why, fundamentally, I wanted to start this section off by saying, I love the shit out of George Kaiser. I would love if George Kaiser listens to this show. I kind of wouldn't be that would be that would be cool. Someone if you know George Kaiser guys, send him our show, send him this section. Um because from what I've read about him and what I've heard about him, it sounds like he knows that it's questionable that the reason this happens is because he is willing to do it and has the money to do it. Like, do we want to depend on the charity of the rich to have a city that's livable? to have programs for poor kids to make sure that they have enough food, to make sure that they're getting good education, to make sure that their poverty doesn't close them off from educational opportunities, which you can only do so much of because there's stuff outside of the school that you can't affect with pre-K, with high-quality kindergartens and so on that are related to poverty. And it says something deeply, it points to something deeply wrong about the state of Oklahoma that we're relying on this. You know, I look, I look around here in Germany, I look around here in Europe, and what I see are artists that don't have to rely on the program of some rich dude who just wants cool art in the city he lives in. I see artists that just want to make art in the city they already live in, 
able to live off government funding, able to propose stuff and get funded in, in New Deal style ideas where it's not enough for the government to just provide roads or something, where the government has to support or where the society through the tool of the government has decided that it has to support a vibrant cultural life, you know? And while I want George Kaiser to keep doing what he's doing, I want to live in a society where it doesn't fucking matter what George Kaiser wants. It matters what Tolson's want. If we want Guthrie Green, if we want that kind of space, and where we've developed relationships and subjectivities in our society, that people do want that kind of stuff. Because I am sick of goddamn tired of South Tulsa people voting down good stuff about the Arkansas River, okay? I'm sick and tired of it, South Tulsa. Go to fucking Dallas like you belong. Move out. Move out. Get out of my home. Yeah, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, the wonderful work that George Kaiser and the Kaiser Foundation do um, underscores both a need that is not being met and at the same time show the vast power at the hands of these people, you know, um, where Kaiser's doing things like this that are helping lift people out of poverty. You have people like T Boom Pickens buying stadiums for football, and like there's, you know, or the Gaylord family, <laughs> yeah, or the Gaylords. Um, you have the Koch brothers uh, dumping money in, uh, you know, conservative Christian candidates so that they get lower taxes and not caring that that, you know, Increases the chances that gay people are going to get murdered. Yep. Right? Yep. Like, it's... And I think, too, perhaps the one thing that makes me hopeful about it is that you look at how Tulsa has responded to the investment George Kaiser has done in the city, right? People fucking dig the Guthrie Green. Everybody loves the Guthrie Green. Everybody's going to the Guthrie Green all the time. Super popular. Ton of people go to the Woody Guthrie Center, you know? There's been a bunch of new art stuff going on in the city. Not just because he's spending that money, but because people are starting to expect it. Because mm. that, that idea of that being a thing that is in Tulsa has, has been growing. Part of that is him doing that, right? Part of that is having someone who, who provides the, the financial capital to make it happen. Because that's how our society functions right now. Yeah. And that's what I, that's what I wanna you know, say, is that you know, Oklahomans, look at this example, right? We start getting this cool shit, we, we have somebody who starts making it happen, you know? It, it, people are into it. Like, let's throw off the ideological chains here, guys, and let's say, George Kaiser, we love you. You want to keep doing that, that's fine. But, you know, we got to start let's taxing out the rich people so we can get more of it, yeah, you know? It's not enough. And, and again, props to George Kaiser. I actually went to a meeting where they presented a gathering place for Tulsa where they said, we want community input. Here's the community input we've gotten so far. If you come, it's open to the public. You can tell us what you all want, and we're going to work to develop that part, right? That's exactly how this shit should work. But we just got to do it in a way where it doesn't depend on George Kaiser being one of the coolest people in the world to make it happen. Yeah, so we can do that. The wealth is there in the state of Oklahoma for this. If one person in the state of Oklahoma can do this, think about what all of us could do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you're totally right. All right. Are you ready to move on to uh, the conservative reading list for the week? Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I, I, we, got, we got a weird thing going on here, guys. Um, it's not your run-of-the-mill conservative reading list where we just read an Oklahoma editorial article and screen, <laughs> uh, though that will happen. Um, 
we actually got a really cool thing that I think should tell everybody how to feel about Oklahoma news sources, right? Because the Oklahoman and the Tulsa World put out editorials, what, how many days apart? Yeah, a day apart, um, talking about the story we had last week about the reduction in pay for state legislature, right? Um, and we're, we're going to talk about the Oklahoman article, and then we'll talk about the Tulsa World article. And the reason we're going to do that is because we're going to say, this is bad. <laughs> this is good. Um, but which is which? You'll have to stay tuned to find out. <laughs> okay, I thought it was implied. <laughs> well, I mean, um, I was kind of, yeah. <laughs> like one, it's the Oklahoman editorial board. Prima facie bad. <laughs> you know the the structure, right? Oklahoma editorial board, post world, bad, good, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but so what? What the Oklahoma editorial board did was was write this article. It's just called "Compensation Board Offers a Clear Abuse." Right? Generally neutral. Okay. Pretty fair title. Don't have a lot to complain about that. And and that is how the 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 board, the Oklahoma Legislative Compensation Board, treated this, right? And the Oklahoman takes a bunch of stuff from it and says, okay, you know, vote was 4-3. Uh, the one voice they give on the panel that really counts is a guy saying he should have, he wanted salaries cut in half, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's kind of questionable. Uh, and then they, the Oklahoman, the editorial board quotes a guy, right? Milborn also said that the move was about more than frustration, that it was intended to bring legislative compensation in line with other states. A report by the State Office of Management and Enterprise Services showed that annual compensation for our lawmakers is second highest in the seven-state region, which contains a lot, actually, right? Number one, it says, we fund our government better than other people around us, which is a good thing. Funding government is part of how you get it to function. Two, it says that the people who work at, you know, determining how much money these people make are just petty assholes, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not good. And that they think, oh, this shouldn't be a job that you get paid real money for. Um... And then another board member, uh, one board member, noting Oklahoma's low ranking nationally in many teacher pay listings, suggested a cut of 10% to 30% for lawmakers might provide some quote unquote equality. Another questionable thing, okay, we're shit at school. How is cutting money going to make us better at, legislator, at, at legislating? Because it's not working with our schools. We have teachers leaving literally all the time. The guy who won best teacher of Oklahoma immediately left after winning the award. <laughs> Because it sucks so hard to work here. You can't, you can't make this up, guys. You can't make up how insane. Um, when you can, the, that, the Oklahoman is. They're just talking. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the Oklahoman editorial board might actually be like um, a deep cover CIA experiment where they actually did that old saying of like, if you put 50 monkeys in a room, eventually they'll type Shakespeare. And they're just taking out all the ones that are just gibberish and being like, all right, whatever. We'll publish it in the Oklahoma. No one will notice. It's, it's good. Yeah. Actually true. Actually true. Um, <laughs> and, and then they say some stuff. They say some stuff farther down where they quote one lawmaker who's basically like, well, uh, it just means that more rich Oklahomans and fewer normal Oklahomans will be serving. And then they also quote uh, Charles McCall. The one time he's ever said anything valuable where he says, yeah, this is a problem that might happen. Except, of course, both of them don't have that problem, personally. Um, and, and the Oklahoma editorial board ends it with the most douchey fucking bullshit. 
right? Most douchey way to end it. As the people who have been fighting 100% on the side of the one group of people that tanked the special session and proved that our legislators can't do their damn job. Charles McCall and, you know, far-right Republicans in the, in the House. They say, it's an interesting debate. At the very least, this pay cut should drive home the point, if there was any doubt, that Oklahomans are weary of what they've been getting from their elected officials. What should, it should end with is, parentheses, we parrot the stuff from the shittiest of those legislators that are the reason that our legislature can't function. That's what I should fucking say at the end of the day. So yeah. crazy that they do this. Um, and then to say it's an interesting debate. What does that mean? Oh, it's an interesting debate. Maybe it's good. Maybe we should cut pay for them. No. When, like we said last week, when legislators do a bad job, you don't cut their pay. It's not a fucking business. It's a government and a democracy on top of that. You vote them out. It's just... It always seems like this upsets you. It does upset me. Masha just told me to calm down. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, 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 calm down. You go hop, hop to what is it the for the fourth paragraph in the or the this the sixth paragraph in this uh the what the sixth paragraph in here uh, of of the Tulsa World story ah uh, yes the Tulsa World story Tulsa World wait before we jump to that I just want to read the title because the title already proved that Tulsa World is not a rag exclusively good for wiping your ass with instead sometimes it's a real news source right. And the title is, and legislators in life, you get what you pay for. The end. True. Factually accurate. <laughs> but what they say in that sixth paragraph. Uh... Well, unless you'd call Cox to install your internet. Then <laughs> <laughs> you, well, actually, you are getting what you pay for because you're paying for capitalism. Oh, yeah, this is fair. That. This is fair. Um, but, but to that paragraph, it really, really, really says it. Okay, what they say is that it's easy to see how it, produ- w- how it would produce less diverse, less representative legislature. If you reduce the pay, you reduce the portion of the population who can afford to take the job. You end up with a chamber filled with the wealthy and the corruptible. And what they've done before this is they say straightforwardly, we fucking get it. We live here. We have to deal with the bullshit that is coming out of the state capitol building. We get it. But if we want to see something good come out of that state capitol building, this is the opposite of what we have to do. There is no way that this helps the problem. <laughs> this article is awesome. And, uh, you know, like, we, we've done a conservative reading list with an article from the Toast World editorial page. It's, it was a syndicated article from some insane lady that lives in Alaska. Uh, from some, it, it just... Just dumbass lady that lives in Alaska is clearly a part of the Tulsa world's like how the current newspaper ecosystem functions and so on. But this is from the editorial staff of the Tulsa world. And they're saying, not only to me in this article, we get the problem, but we, we, we're not going to compromise our values and just say, oh, that sounds interesting because it's a good way for us to stay on the happy side of fucking McCall or some shit. Um, what they're saying is, no, we have an opinion, and our opinion is we want a legislator that works for a legislature that works for Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. We don't have that right now. And when we do this, when we think pedally like this, when we're just shitty and mad and don't actually think through what we're proposing in terms of solving this problem, we're not going to get anywhere. And 
I think we could both agree, Adam. We yeah. love being shitty mad and screaming. I literally just did it. <laughs> but that's not how you decide how to organize society, guys. Okay? Being petty like this is just gonna end up with a legislator where you have to you have to work on the fucking Devon Energy or Chesapeake Energy or Williams uh, executive board to be able to afford to work in the state capital because you have to be able to take four months off a year and you have to have the income to support yourself the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want that society, fucking fine. Okay? You can have that society. But that's not a democratic society. It's not, it's not a just society. Yeah, and you just can't be upset when people like you and I called you terrible. Like, I mean, you know, this Tulsa World article ends with saying, the solution is to stop electing bad legislators. Good ones are worth the price. And like I, that... What it's a, can, can, we, can, we, can we just read uh, what comes right before that last paragraph before, yeah. we, before you go on? Because I think this is really important. Right? Yeah. The, the, the uh, penultimate and the one before the penultimate yeah. paragraphs. Um, it starts with a quote. Uh, this is easier for me because I don't need my legislative salary and I don't run for my legislative salary. Representative John Eccles, our Oklahoma City, told reporters after the decision. He's the uh, House whip, House majority whip. Uh, oh, no, he's the majority floor of the year. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the Tulsa world lays it out. So if we want more lawmakers like Eccles, one of the architects of the special sessions, general appropriations bill that cut appropriations and made the state even more dependent on one-time funding gimmick, by all means, let's cut their pay. That's all you need. To do. I mean, the Tulsa world is right about that, you know? And, and, and you explain to us now, Adam, why good ones are worth the price, you know? I mean that that I mean it's it, it's just the thing is that it 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 when you have I mean like not only does it like one it eliminates like I think they I think they hit the two reasons at the top of the article that you already quoted earlier you get representatives of wealthy individuals who have private interests and who because of capitalism are tied to private corporate interests and espouse a certain kind of worldview because of that. And two, you have people who are easily corruptible because you have people who, while they may have good intentions, are in there and starving to death. So you can hand them 500 bucks and it means a lot. And so you can mm-hmm. sway them easier that way. And I think that that's the two big ones. But, I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, even broader than that, it's just an access issue. It's just a, you know, I, 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 I get the idea, but, you know, in all honesty, and, you know, I'm a little biased because, you know, I'm in you know a political environment and i am in a legal field and i'm in fields that depend on you know running for office sometimes um but you know it would just be so much easier and so much better if we moved to a system where we had yearly people who were you know full you know elite you know yearly politicians and then term limits that were much tighter so give people the opportunity to do to do it, but don't let people, you know, you don't want to strip the institutional knowledge, but at the same time, you want, you don't want to encourage things that I, I think, I think that we could do so much more if we actually treated it like a job rather than like four months that you might do something. And it is a job too. One of the, one of the arguments that Mary Fallon put out, once again, feels super weird to say Mary Fallon said something useful. Um... What, what the thing is, is that, you know, these people do work 
more than 40-hour weeks a lot of the times doing the work of legislating, going out to their communities and listening to people so that they can represent them accurately, going around the house, reading policy proposals, doing the fucking work. Yeah, I I worked at uh, the house as a page for a while, and I mean, it's it's a lot of work. And I mean, it's it's also stuff that like, if you're not good at it, you, you know, you can't you know, it, it, it's not like, and not to disparage, you know, we talked about the, the waiting thing earlier, but it's not something, you know, anyone could, you know, I could figure out how to wait a restaurant in an evening. I might screw up a few things, but I would figure it out in an evening. I could throw you into the legislative session for a month and then tell you to get down there. And if you're not a good public speaker, if you can't speak your mind, if you don't know how to talk to people and convince them behind closed doors, you're never going to get anywhere. You have to have a skill set. It's, you know, and it's, and it's just dumb to think that it's something that everyone can walk in and do and that we should, you know, punish blah, blah. It's just, it's just not, it's not thought out and not representative. It's just what these guys want to do to make themselves feel better and to tell everyone that, oh, look, I yeah. did it. I, I punished them, but you're not punishing anybody except for the people who can't afford to run already. But, uh, I think that's about towards the end of uh, our episode for the week. Uh, as always, guys, uh, we want to thank you so much for listening and tell us, uh, tell you to check us out over on Facebook. Where uh, just search Red Star Over OK. We're over there. We've got a Twitter account at Red Star Over Oklahoma. Uh, we've got a subreddit, and like we said throughout the episode, you know, go check that out. It's a great place. Um, we we post articles there. We post relevant information. You know, mm-hmm. we're open yeah. to conversation. We're yeah. I, well, good. I was going to say Reddit. I think. I don't know how I feel about it yet or if I'll be using it much, but apparently they're having a new group chat function. So maybe, you know, um, in the future, if we decide to do something like a live stream or, um, you know, maybe just an AMA or something, we can, we can go over, hop over there and do something like that. Uh, you know, we, you can listen over at SoundCloud and iTunes. Just check us out at Red Star Over Oklahoma. Our email account is Red Star Over redstaroverok at gmail.com you got any questions comments concerns let us know uh but tell your friends about us guys we uh we love to hear from you go give us a like on facebook and please rate and review us on itunes it takes just a second it's super easy to do well adam good luck with your finals good luck i'll see uh, you guys in a couple weeks till then all right bye-bye